witness in a candidate. Thus, the debates and the millions spent. But as important as it is that we get this right, it's even more important that we accurately judge the greatness of those in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples thought they knew how that would be done. And when Jesus established his kingdom, they had assumed they would be given positions of honor relative to their high standing in the kingdom. But now Jesus has been talking about going to Jerusalem and suffering and being killed and rising again on the third day. How do you become great in that kind of kingdom? They were confused. And that confusion led them to question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Unexpectedly, Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself. We're in Matthew chapter 18. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Mark tells us this exchange took place in the house at Capernaum, most likely Peter's house. And that the disciples had been walking along the road, and as they were walking along the road, they'd been discussing which one of them was the greatest. In fact, Luke says they had been arguing about it. When they got into the house, Jesus confronted them and asked, what were you discussing? They clammed up. They didn't want to tell him. Eventually, one of them spoke up. And in light of all that he'd been saying about his approaching death in Jerusalem, they were wondering who would then be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's what they had been arguing about. No doubt someone had suggested it would be Peter. Peter may have even suggested it himself. He was, after all, the self-appointed spokesperson for the group. He was the one who got out of the boat and walked on water. He was one of the three who had been chosen by Jesus to be with him on the mountaintop. Jesus had even miraculously provided him with the money to pay his temple tax. Surely, it was Peter. How did Jesus respond? He simply called a child to himself, quite possibly Peter's child, and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. They had been arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus 
said something that indicated they might not even make it into the kingdom. Had they forgotten what he had said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They certainly were not exhibiting a poverty of spirit. They were exalting themselves. They were competing with each other for places of honor, for positions of greatness in the kingdom. And speaking directly to them, Jesus said, Unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. In effect, he was saying, unless you are converted, which means turned, unless you realize that you're headed in the wrong direction, seeking after greatness, and turn around and head in the other direction, not only will you not find greatness in the kingdom of heaven, you'll not even find yourselves in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Converted. And become like children. Now, what did Jesus mean by, and become like children? Obviously, there are a lot of positive, childlike characteristics and qualities he could have had in mind. You know, innocence, purity, teachability, trust. There are a lot of childlike qualities we should emulate. But the characteristic Jesus is focusing on here is humility. He says, whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And do notice that Jesus said, this child. Not every child is humble. We've all seen self-centered children who thought the world revolved around them. Certainly, they wouldn't qualify as examples of humility, but this child did. He came to Jesus when called. Luke tells us he stood by Jesus' side. Mark indicates he allowed himself to be set in the midst of the disciples and to actually let Jesus take him up into his arms. He was a compliant child, one who knew his place and was willing to do what Jesus asked. And isn't that actually a pretty good picture of humility? No, it's not low self-esteem. It's not putting yourself down. But it is a compliant spirit. It's a realistic view of who you are. Of your gifts and abilities that were given to you. And a willingness to do whatever Jesus would have you do. If we would be great in the kingdom of heaven... We would be like that child. And not only would we be like him, we would receive others who are like him as well. Let's, let's read on. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, 
It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be thrown or cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, people who seek greatness in the eyes of the world are very careful to be seen with the right people, doing the right things, going the right places. And they have a tendency to walk all over little people. Not so in the kingdom of heaven. It may be true, sadly, in the religious world, but it's not true in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus really made us think about our treatment of little people when he said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Jesus identifies with the little people of this world. He cares very much how we treat the little people, the children, the nobodies of this world, especially the little ones who believe in Him. If through Him they become children of the King, we better treat them like royalty. We must never cause them to stumble, to doubt their relationship to the Heavenly Father because of the way we treat them. In fact, it would be better for a heavy millstone to be hung around their neck and for us to be thrown in the depth of the sea than for us to offend someone Christ loves. You know, the world makes it hard enough for children of faith to walk through life with confidence. Woe to us if we make it even harder for them. If we find pride or a desire for social status affecting the way we treat our little brothers and sisters, we better perform radical spiritual surgery. And do so before the malignancy of self-exaltation condemns us to the fires of hell. If you're grasping for greatness at the expense of others, Jesus says, cut your hand off. If you're climbing up the ladder of success and don't care who you step on on the way up, cut your foot off. 
And if your eye is so fixed on yourself that you can't see the needs of those around you, pluck your eye out. Obviously, he's not being literal here. But he's making a very, very strong point. If we ever find ourselves looking down our noses at anyone, especially those spiritual babes who have lots of needs and require a lot of care, we better remember that Jesus said to receive one such child in his name is to receive him. And... He said that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of the Father who's in heaven. Now, I do have to admit that I'm not really sure what Jesus meant when he spoke of their angels in heaven. This is where we get the idea of guardian angels. And other scriptures do indicate that angels can be used by God to guard his children. But nowhere does it actually say everyone has their own personal guardian angel. You know, the Old Testament does seem to indicate that nations have angels assigned to them. But this is the only place where it might appear that everyone has a specific angel assigned to them. Now, it might be true. And I'm sure that it's no problem for God to do that if that, in fact, is what he desires to do. But it does seem a little strange that if the angels pictured here are guardian angels, they're located in heaven and not here on earth. Now, their being in heaven, continually beholding the face of God, does indicate that these angels have access to the throne of God. But could it be that instead of telling us that little ones have guardian angels on earth, Jesus is warning us that the angels in heaven will tell on us if we mistreat one of God's Little ones. I don't know. I really don't know what all is in view here, but it is clear that we are not to despise the little ones. In fact, we have to do everything we can to make sure none of these little ones perish. If we would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we must not only humble ourselves and receive little ones, we must also search for sheep that go astray. Let's read on. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. Thus, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. 
That all goes together. Sometimes we isolate one part of that passage from the others. It all fits together. And the one who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven is not one who presides over a flock, but one who searches for stray sheep. The disciples wanted positions of honor and respect in the kingdom. They pictured themselves seen on thrones, ruling with Jesus. Even after what he said here, James and John brought their mother to Jesus and had her ask him to give them seats of honor in the kingdom. Jesus didn't want them thinking about sitting on thrones. And he doesn't want us to think it's the will of our Heavenly Father for us to sit on thrones or just sit in pews. What brings the Father joy is for us to get up from our pews and go look for the sheep who've gone astray. If you want to be great in God's eyes, bring lost sheep back into the fold. Leave the warmth and comfort of the fold. Go where they have gone and bring them back home. That's how we become great in the kingdom of heaven. Now... This doesn't mean our status in the kingdom is determined by the notches on our gospel gun. You know, the number of people we've won to Christ or brought back to Christ. It simply means if we want to bring joy to our Father, we'll never forget that He wants us searching for stray sheep. That we never get so busy working in the church that we forget to work outside the church. And when we do find stray sheep, when we personally contact those we haven't seen in church for a while, or invite a neighbor who had a bad experience in church as a youth, or witness to a co-worker who feels estranged from God, when we find them and bring them in, They become the most important sheep in the fold. And they bring us even more joy than the 99 who never strayed. Because they are like little ones in danger of perishing. And so their needs must be put above our needs. They're still vulnerable. They're still childlike in their faith and they're in need of loving care and nurturing. And what parent wouldn't put the needs of a child above their own? When someone comes back into the fold, they're the most important person here. We do everything we can to make them feel at home. We do everything we can to, to keep from isolating them. 
or telling them it doesn't matter what they want or what they like. This is the way we're going to do it. We care for them. We listen to them. We sacrifice for them. If we would be great in the kingdom of God, if we would please our Heavenly Father, we will put the needs of others before our own. In fact, before setting the child before the disciples, Mark records Jesus as saying, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's the way to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. It's not by climbing some ecclesiastical ladder, seeking after titles and offices and places of honor. We become great in the kingdom of heaven when we humble ourselves, minister to others who need us, and then search for those who've gone astray. In other words, we become great in the kingdom of heaven when we surrender our all to him, when we humble ourselves and die to self and become servant of all. If you want to be great in the eyes of your heavenly Father, I invite you to humble yourself before him and before this body of believers. Acknowledge the sin in your life. Allow yourself to be washed clean in the waters of Christian baptism and then rise to walk in newness of life. A life of service to the one who is truly the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand.